This episode is sponsored by Templeton Rye Whiskey. It's our go-to drink of choice for Whiskey Wednesday, and a nice bottle of their six-year can always be found on my bar cart at home. So pick some up next time you're at the store and enjoy it over the rocks, or add a little bit of lavender honey simple syrup, and you've got yourself a heck of a summer cocktail. Hey there! Welcome to the Rambling Gals podcast. We are your hosts, Angela and Adriana. And here you'll find pretty much everything travel related. We took a trip a few years ago and made a fair amount of mistakes that cost us money and messed up our plans. And since then, we've worked on perfecting travel itineraries and made it a goal to get as many people as we could out into the world exploring. So here you'll find our best travel tips and tricks, interviews with other travelers and business owners, a little bit of storytelling, and a lot of tomfoolery. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to this month's Saturday session. Today I'm talking to the ladies from Hello Henry's, Lauren and Kelda. These ladies run their own website and offer financial services in addition to their other jobs. So this past year or so, I have been focusing on my own finances and working towards saving money for retirement and the house and you know, getting a fully funded emergency fund, and basically just figuring out what adults do with their money. And I've always felt that while you know we all have a responsibility to take that active role in our finances, I feel like we weren't taught these things in school. And I have also found that a lot of people in our age group, the millennials, don't really have this stuff figured out either. And so it kind of scares me a little bit that people don't have an emergency fund and don't really have a handle on their money. So I'm really excited to talk to Lauren and Kelda today, and we're going to talk through all kinds of money and millennial things, which is what they specialize in. And, you know, we'll delve into a little bit about travel credit cards, how to use them responsibly, how to get the most out of your vacation time if you have a more traditional job. And so I'm going to let them introduce themselves and give a little bit of background on Hello Henry's and what they hope to accomplish with it. So go ahead, ladies. Absolutely. We definitely share similar views as you on millennials and a strong desire to help um, all of our peers kind of figure it out. Um, We are two sisters living in Seattle um, together and just decided to start Hello Henry's as a way to help our friends understand some of the topics that have come a little bit easier to us or things that we've taken a lot of time to try to learn and understand. For um, me in particular, I graduated with a degree in finance and have always been super interested in personal finance. I feel like having a grasp on that really allows you to take control of your life and live it in a way that kind of matches up to your values and get the most out of life. And after I graduated, I realized that a lot of my friends... um, we're always pretty anxious or stressed about money or didn't understand certain topics like maybe the stock market or investing and just chose to not do anything at all, um, which I think is even scarier. So I really wanted to just start a platform to share with my friends some of the things that I had come to understand about finance um, in particular so that they could help hopefully um, turn their fear and anxiety about money into a sense of empowerment and excitement about watching um, their goals get accomplished. And then Kelda and I partnered up um, once the finance piece got going because travel is something that is super important to both of us and something that we um, choose to 
prioritize um, with our finances. So we thought it would be a great blend to do together and two topics that millennials um, are super interested in. So just wanted to share with them. Absolutely. And how about you, Kelda? Um, I am an, I'm a fifth grade teacher, so I did not have a background in finance like Lauren, but I think I really benefited um, from having a sister that was so financially sound and both of our parents also um, were very open with finances um, with both of us from a young age. And so I think having that great background with my family, always talking about finance and helping me make sure that I start a retirement account right away um, and that I build up my emergency savings fund and I use credit cards responsibly um, really helped me. And then I realized that a lot of my friends don't have that same background or their family wasn't as open in talking about finances um, or they just didn't learn the value of a dollar from a young age. Um, And so I think it's really helpful to partner with Lauren, who has all that really great background, but then also for me to see that it is really manageable. And just in the little bit that I have, um, just through reading different books and educating myself, that it is really manageable and trying to make it more accessible to younger people so that they can get on the right track at an earlier age. Both of you hit good points is that you feel so much more in control when you understand money and you understand where it comes and where it goes from if you have a budget. And it's not like you're just trying to string things together and make it work. It's like the most (laughs) stressful thing. And I see so many of my friends doing that that are living on credit cards. And it's like, I just don't, I can't imagine, you know, kind of like the powerlessness that goes with that is just, you're trying to pay the bills and just trying to make things work. But I feel like once you have that knowledge and you can stick to a budget and actually understand where your money goes, it's such a good feeling. It kind of becomes addicting um, once you do have that um, feeling and just learning to be proactive instead of reactive, I think is really the key. Yes, that's a great way to put it. And so you two are obviously millennials. And is that, you know, why you wanted to specialize in millennials? And do you think that the reputation about millennials is generally correct? I think that a lot of our advice um, and tips around finance and travel can definitely appeal to any age group. I mean, the tenets of finance that we're talking about are applicable to everybody. Um, We just felt like there weren't a lot of sources out there when we started that broke things down in a really digestible way or that understood that millennials, you know, they want to do things like go to Soul Cycle or go to brunch with their friends on the weekend. And they don't want to hear from a resource that's telling them to cut out all of those fun things and just go too far on the extreme of, you know, saving and cutting costs everywhere. We really wanted to be able to show people how they could, um, how they could balance doing the things that they love that maybe seem a little frivolous or luxurious while still accomplishing the major goals that you need to. And we felt like there just weren't other resources doing that specifically for a millennial group, but definitely the core um, principles that we're talking about are for everybody. But I think we were kind of talking a little bit before we jumped on with you today, but we, we feel like the reputation of millennials is a little bit unfair. Um, I think, I mean, there's so many articles out there about how millennials are spending all their money on avocado toast or things like that. Um, But kind of like what we said, people tend to focus a little bit too much on those small decisions and not enough on the big ideas that really make a difference. 
So if you're just trying to cut back on, you know, your Saturday morning avocado toast, that's not going to get you exactly to where you need to be in the future. It might help a little bit, but it's really more valuable to spend time understanding, you know, how can I find the best savings accounts that offer the highest interest rates for me? Or let's make sure that I have all of my payments on auto pay so I don't miss a payment and ruin my credit score, kind of things like that. We really try to focus on explaining those big ideas that really make a difference and add up versus you know, telling you to um, cut out those millennial splurges that people always talk about. I have to agree with you that there's not a plethora of resources out there for millennials. And just in my, you know, fair bit of research for myself, I found what you spoke about is like not realistic goals for people that are our age or not really things that are appealing to us. Because I don't, think that you have to cut out the things that you enjoy in order to be responsible with your money. And so I think it does come from maybe a place of, um, I don't really know the right word, maybe like criticism of older generations that think we're frivolous with our money or spending it in the, like not in the right places that it's not super helpful advice for us because I don't see what's wrong with spending five bucks on avocado toast. And some things like that can work in the short term. We kind of, um, we compare um, finances with dieting a lot because there's so many things that are similar. You might be able to stick to something for, you know, two weeks. that's super restrictive and see some results, but ultimately you're probably not going to be able to stick to that for life. So it's about kind of finding smaller ways to modify your lifestyle um, that you can stick with in the long term. That is most successful, I think, with personal finance for sure. Yes, I think it's all about sustainability for sure in regards to most things in life. But I found that for money as well. Definitely sustainability. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, what worries you the most in regards to your peers and money? Um, I think something that we've both noticed just in talking to friends um, is that oftentimes there's a lack of understanding, which leads them to not do anything at all. I was recently at a brunch with a group of my girlfriends from work and they were talking about how they weren't really sure what was in their retirement accounts or like they had multiple retirement accounts from different jobs that they've been working and they didn't know how to roll it over or even what was in there. And I think sometimes when you don't have that knowledge, it can be so much easier to just brush it under the rug when they don't realize that if they maximize that right now, they'll see the returns tenfold in the future, especially with their retirement accounts. Like that's something that is totally worth doing some research or asking questions on. And you'll really see the returns later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We kind of feel like the decade of your twenties and into your early thirties are the most pivotal moments of your financial future. And um, time really, when it comes to investing, no matter where you're investing, whether it be retirement or in the stock market, time is the most valuable thing that you can have. And obviously you can never make that up. And so for young people to really try to find like one or two things that they can push themselves to learn a little bit about, whether it's through resources like Hello Henry's or with their financially savvy friends, whatever you can do to expand your knowledge a little bit. Um, I think prompting yourself to make one decision now versus not doing anything at all um, is really important. And I think 
we just get worried talking to our friends who are choosing not to do anything or kind of turn a blind eye to their finances. Um, that's pretty scary because doing nothing um, isn't going to make a difference in your future. The other thing is I've talked to people that just have an estimate of how much they're going to need for retirement that is so, so low that it, that also scares me. They're like, oh, I need maybe like $300,000 for retirement. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they understand, even if you don't have a house payment, you know, there's other things that come up and you don't want to be scraping by as an old person after you've worked your whole life totally. <laughs> and not, not do the work now to set yourself up later mm -hmm. and just totally underestimating how much you're going to need. Yeah. And I think part of that is, has become kind of a generational thing for a few reasons. I mean, one, most people now in this um, generation don't stay at the same company forever. So things like pensions or um, just having one retirement account with one company, that's something that's a new nuance to understand now in this generation for sure. And then kind of with the um, growth of social media and online shopping and everything, we are so used to having kind of instant gratification or just thinking about in the moment. And it's really hard for people to think about their 60 or 70 year old selves and think that it matters right now. Um, but it definitely does. And I think it's trying to work around kind of the changes in our culture and society that have happened over the last 10 or 20 years with jobs and technology um, to make sure that you're still caring about that future you because people aren't taking care of it as much as they were in the past, like through social security or pension funds at work. Right. I think that's a huge difference is just the jumping around to different jobs aspect of it. And I think that that garnishes some criticism also from older generations that, you know, we, we don't have the fortitude to stick to a job mm -hmm. for 20 years or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I think it's just a changing of the times and people working remotely and people having, you know, freelance jobs. And there's so many different ways to earn money now that, um, it's just a difference in times. And so I think maybe just catching up to that and then people figuring out how you can save money when you don't work a traditional job mm -hmm. is really important too. And I think we'll be talking about that later in this episode of, you know, how to save money when you don't have a nine to five or you have a freelance job or whatever it is. So, um, in addition to saving for retirement, what areas do you think millennial millennials should be focusing on the most for their finances? One thing that Lauren and I both do is we automate our savings because I think that is one thing since it's not like a bill that comes up every month, like your rent, you have to pay or else you'll be evicted. Mm -hmm. But if you automate your savings, then it just takes away that lure to try and spend it on something else. So if your friend texts you and asks you to go on this trip, but you've already had your savings pulled automatically or transferred over to your savings account, then it just takes away that lure that you have. Because we often see our friends living really lavish lives or spending their money in frivolous ways, um, whereas they aren't saving there. So automating your savings every single paycheck or every single month, however you have it set up, we think is one of the best things that millennials can do. Yeah, you definitely, I think, want to not rely on your own willpower um, because at least for us, that wouldn't be very strong if we were just like, okay, um, at the end of the month, I'll transfer over $20 or whatever you decide your savings goal is. Um, by the end of the month rolling around, it's pretty likely that you might have given in to other temptations that have come up along the way in the 
in the month. So definitely just knowing what your temptations might be or pitfalls and finding ways to work around that. So both of us, I think our biggest recommendation would be to automate savings. And then from there, it's kind of up to you what you think your biggest goals need to be, whether it's you need to use that savings to build up an emergency fund, or maybe you already have established a strong emergency fund. So you want to start getting into investing, or maybe you want to pay more off of your student loans, that kind of thing. Um, So the fun decision part can come into play there too, once you start getting automatic about it. But I think that's a key thing that we both did from our very first paycheck that has made a big difference in what, where we are now with our money. So would you mind touching just on the automate your savings portion? Do you do it based on a percentage or do you just do a certain amount each uh, paycheck? And then do you do it through your bank or just can you touch more on how you do that? Mm-hmm. So I follow the 80-20 rule in terms of 20% of my income is savings. So it's just a little bit broader versus the 50-30-20 method. My 20%, first I pay off my student loan since that's paying towards future me. So it's still within that 20% chunk. And then whatever's left over of that 20%, I have it calculated because my paycheck stays the same every two weeks. And so I have um, it set up through my employer to transfer into a separate account. We both use direct deposit for our savings accounts and have a separate savings account that then we transfer or make any kind of payments that we need to for anything that helps kind of our future self. Mm -hmm. So because I don't have like a set paycheck every two weeks, I have a couple uh, income streams, I suppose you could say. So if people don't have those, something that I do, and you guys can comment on this if you would like, is I use a budgeting app and then I have a percentage of my savings like from all those income streams that I know I want to save. So I basically just like document, oh, I put 20 bucks in this week. I put 40 bucks in this week until I hit that percentage. And so that's helped me because I don't have like a direct deposit where I'm like, just pull that out before I can see it (laughs) and get it out of my face so I don't spend it. So um, I found that budgeting, a budgeting app has been a lifesaver for me. Definitely. I think that's, really good advice and good that you have kind of what we were talking about before, just knowing that you need to outsmart any temptations that you might have. So it sounds like you've been really proactive about it. And I think that's just the key thing is finding what's going to work for you. But to remember that, you know, even if you do have a freelance job or something where income is kind of inconsistent, just remembering that savings should be just as important as, you know, paying your rent or electricity. So deciding what amount that is for you and making sure that you hit that amount every month as if it were a bill as well that you have to pay. That's a great tip. Yeah. So let's talk about travel credit cards. You guys have some resources on your website about how to use travel cards, um, you know, responsibly. So, and I know you guys do travel pretty frequently using your travel credit card and the points that you earn from that. So if you could just talk a little bit about how you maximize those travel card opportunities, and then also some tips for using them responsibly, because I know some of them have like a giant signup bonus if you spend a certain amount per month, and then people get in trouble trying to hit that goal. And it ends up being, you know, not a good fit for them. 
the biggest thing that we would stress before even getting into this, I think um, travel credit cards and points hacking has become super trendy in the last year or two. And it's so great. It's definitely helped us to be able to see a lot of places that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to. But the key before doing this is to make sure that you're really confident in your ability to manage your money every month and pay off your credit card in full. So for me personally, even though I really wanted to get into travel credit cards, I actually waited until I had had a full year of just using a debit card alone to make sure that um, I really had my monthly budget under under control and that I felt good with kind of where I was spending and my money management overall before I felt confident enough to delve into credit cards. If you jump in too soon, just about the excitement of going on a trip or um, whatever you want to do with them, it can definitely lead to not a good place (laughs) if you rack up a huge balance trying to hit your um, sign up bonus that you need to, or if you just haven't gotten your monthly expenses under control, we would always stress that no trip is ever worth that. I think a lot of people don't think about if you're paying interest every single month on a balance, you're really not getting a free trip with your miles. (laughs) You're really paying for the trip through your interest. So whatever amount of time or things that you need to prove to yourself before going in, um, but I think we definitely recommend at least having two or three months where you feel like you could just go with cash or debit only before you jump into using a credit card. Agreed. I had graduated from college. I had been out of college for a year before I got my first travel card. And I think that really helped me set up a budget and know how much I was actually earning. I think especially when you first graduated college, my when I first got my job offer that my salary seemed so big. And then I got my first paycheck and it was a lot smaller than I was expecting because I forgot about taxes. So I think especially when you're getting your first job, being able to figure out, can you actually live on that paycheck and getting used to that first before getting a credit card is important. And then in terms of choosing one, I think we can kind of talk through that. We both have a similar strategy in what we have picked. Definitely, we're not people that are signing up for like 15 credit cards a year, which has become something really popular through this whole points hacking phenomenon. But you definitely want to be careful with doing that because it can have some long-term effects on your credit score if you don't do it right. It's definitely not good to always have you know, a lot of credit checks or closing accounts. It can be definitely a warning sign when it comes to your credit score. So making sure that you're balancing you know, wanting to get the perks of the trips and the points with how it's impacting your travel score or credit score. Sorry. <laughs> but both of us have We both use Chase as our primary travel credit card, which um, we have so many posts on our website about how much we love it. But through Chase alone, that's covered probably three trips a year for each of Mm -hmm. us. That's what we have found to be the most impactful. And then on top of that, we each have an airline-specific travel card. Um, Kelda has Alaska and I have Delta. But just having those two cards alone, we rarely pay for a trip, especially not international. We'll sometimes pay, you know, if we're just going to LA or somewhere close, we'll pay for those tickets sometimes. But when it comes to our international travels, we've been able to do pretty much all of those on points alone from those two cards. And I think one thing that Lauren and I do a lot like you were talking about, a lot of times credit cards have those big sign up bonuses where you have to spend like four thousand dollars in three months to get the points. And I think Lauren and I both have been pretty strategic in when we choose to open those cards. Like when I opened my Chase card, I think that was the Chase 
offer at the time that you had to spend $4,000 in three months. And so I waited until I was moving out of my parents' house into an apartment. So I knew I was going to be spending a lot of money on furniture. And then we were also booking flights at the time. So I was able to use my parents and my sister let me book all of their tickets on my card. So that helped me get meet that bonus as well. So I think definitely if you're strategic in the timing of when you open the card, it's money that you either would have been spending anyway, or that family or friends are making bigger purchases at the time too, and might be willing to let you buy it on the card and have them pay you back so you can reach that threshold. And both of us have definitely gotten to a point where now I don't think I've pulled out my debit card to use in like over a year. Um, We definitely use every opportunity that we can on our credit card. But again, that's at the point where we've really felt confident about paying off our balance every month. But once you get to that point, I think using your credit card as much as possible is a really great way to be able to rack up the points. And then to make sure that you're using the credit card on the categories where you get those extra points, every card is a little bit different. Some offer, you know, triple points on restaurants, some maybe on travel specific purchases, whatever the category is to make sure that you're using the appropriate cards to do that to get those points bonuses for each of those categories. Got it. Those are some great tips. And I have been patiently waiting to get my Chase Sapphire card. I'm about to buy a new laptop. And so I have been waiting to time it perfectly because I know I have that big purchase coming and I'll be able to use it. And I know you guys also, I think we were chatting in Instagram and you had another tip that was, you know, pay when you're out at dinner, if your friends can just Venmo you some money and just those small things that add up to equal a lot of points for you guys. So you gave some really good tips. Do you have any other small daily tips or things in regards to making sure that you pay them off monthly? Like, do you guys just do one big payment per month or do you just pay it off as you are buying things? I think you can kind of decide what works for you. I personally do a little bit of a blend. So if I went out to dinner or if I was chipping in on a big present or something that we were splitting as a group, anything where it's a pretty large purchase that maybe I've split with other people, as soon as they Venmo me back, I will always use that money to pay off my card or at least pay off that purchase to prevent the balance from creeping up too much. But then in terms of anything personally that I've spent, I just pay once a month, just the statement balance that's due every month. I'm pretty much the same. If I'm getting Venmoed, I'll pay it off right away. But otherwise, I feel like Lauren and I both have a pretty good... We have a good knowledge of what we're spending each month, point where we don't need to check it as frequently and pay off each small purchase. Mm -hmm. I definitely did that more at the beginning just because I still had... It was just new having a credit card and making sure that I was still staying within budget. But now I think we both have such a good handle on how much we're spending each month that one per one at the end of each month is fine. Yeah, but definitely at the beginning when you're getting used to it, I think maybe setting one day each week where you're just going to quickly take five minutes to pull up the app, check your balance, make sure there's nothing crazy. Like for example, if you have, let's say a thousand dollars a month that you feel comfortable um, kind of as you're spending money or what you might have on a credit card balance. And if you get to the first Friday of the month and you already see that you're 
balance is at $600, that might be a little bit of a warning sign of, wow, I've already spent over 50% of what I feel comfortable with in a month in just the first week. And that helps you kind of reset or cut back the rest of the month. So definitely doing once or twice a week at the beginning of just checking in on your balance would be really key until you get super comfortable with it. And then I think um, one tip that we wanted to share just about travel credit cards in particular, about how to make sure that you're maximizing those points once you have them. So once you're going to book a trip, one of the key things that we would say is knowing the value of the miles versus the cost of the ticket. There's a lot of good resources out there, specifically from the points guy, where they value each airline miles um, in terms of dollars. And so if you see that, let's say a flight to Mexico, let's say is 50,000 miles. And on that airline, whatever the value of the miles is, that would equate to like $400 worth of miles. You should only um, use your miles if you can't find anything um, less than those $400. So if the price to book a ticket in cash is $600 and the cost in miles would be equivalent to $400, you should definitely use the miles. Um, but you should never use the miles if there's a cheaper cash fare available, we'd say it's a great way to make them go a long way. Yeah. And we usually tend to stockpile our miles for those longer trips, like Lauren was saying earlier. Um, the same way like my Alaska credit card offers me a companion fare every month or every year. I wish it was every month. Um, and so making sure that like I will probably end up using that companion fare when I go to Mexico in February or last year I used it when I went to Hawaii. So using, making sure you're maximizing it in terms of that versus using it to fly down to LA or something or somewhere more closer. Right. You got to make those points work for you. Exactly. And we all have found that transferring miles, if your credit card or the airline where you have miles allows you to transfer them to partners, is really helpful as a way to build up miles if you have like 10,000 across multiple airlines. Or also like if you're flying on one airline, making sure you're transferring it to one that you use more frequently. Those are some great tips. And then for those listening, I will I do a write-up for each of these episodes. So I will list out all these tips and some resources and everything. So if you're driving or whatever you're doing, you don't need to pull over and write these <laughs> down. You can just uh, head to our website and it'll be all listed there. So let's talk about some saving in retirement. We talked about it a little bit at the top of this episode. Um, if you don't have a traditional nine to five, which I feel like might be a bit of an issue with the millennial generation, I know that things like saving for trips is hard for people and saving for a new car before they need a new car and saving for a house and all that thing, all those things are difficult to do. So how do you suggest people saving money for those big ticket items when they don't have a traditional nine to five? Definitely. Um, I think as we kind of both shared um, how we use about 20% as our savings goal, the percentage probably doesn't work for people who don't have a traditional nine to five. And that might be more of a dollar amount that you need to figure out. So I think for anyone just getting started in savings, I would definitely calculate what you think about six months of expenses would be. So, you know, your rent or mortgage, electricity, groceries, anything that you absolutely need to kind of stay alive day to day, calculate what that would be each month, multiply it by six, 
And then that should be kind of the goal that you have for your emergency savings account. And then I think just applying that to whether it needs to be each month for you or just having that as a goal that you need to hit. So let's say that's $7,000 for you to divide that amount maybe per month over the year if that works and making sure that you're saving that dollar amount each month. Or if you know that there's a certain month where you might have more projects or income um, sources coming in, then maybe you save a little bit more that month with ultimately the six months of expenses being your goal. And then definitely you can take it from there from your for your other goals um, once you've hit your emergency fund. Um, But I think that's a really good way to start and just breaking it down to a more exact dollar amount because the percentage is probably not as applicable when your job is not traditional nine to five. And that goes the same thing for saving for trips. And it's one of the questions we get most often is, how do you guys afford to travel? Which I'm sure you guys Mm -hmm. get a lot. And it's the same with anything. If you're going to save for a computer, or you're going to save for a car or a house. It's just making that goal amount and then breaking it into manageable categories. Mm-hmm. So if it's, you have a year that you need to save for a trip to the Caribbean, then you just split it into 52 payments, one for each week, and you just make those more manageable. Because when you look at it as I need to buy a, you know, a new car for 30 grand, that's an intimidating amount, mm-hmm. I think. And I, and I think that's where a lot of people have trouble is just that it seems like such a far-fetched amount that the breaking it into more manageable chunks has really helped me and has helped a lot of other people our age, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So then retirement strategies I wanted to talk about. It's something that I'm currently in the process of re- researching for myself. And because I don't have you know a company where I can contribute to a 401k and they contribute as well, it's been something that I've been in the works of researching So, you know, there's IRAs, there's CDs, there's a bunch of, you know, there's a million different things that you can do to save for retirement. So from you ladies, what is a good retirement strategy for those non-traditional jobs when you don't have a 401k option available? Um, Where do you start? Good question. And I think this um, is kind of a misconception for anyone that also has a 401k that they're contributing to. I think a lot of people just rely on the 401k as their sole source of retirement. But really, we would stress that everybody should have an IRA, no matter what your job situation is. Um, That's a super beneficial retirement account to have, especially given kind of the tax structure of those accounts. So we can kind of break that down in a little bit more manageable way. A traditional 401k through work allows you to contribute your income pre-tax, which is great. Um, Of course, to not have the government tax any of your money that you're saving for retirement. But when you go to take the money out at retirement, you will be taxed on that. And it could be pretty heavy depending on how well your account performed, how much money you have in there, etc. You could take a really big hit. Where with an IRA, which typically most people are doing through a Roth IRA outside of their employer. That is money that's already been taxed typically, but you are not taxed on it when you do take it out for retirement, which is super beneficial if your portfolio performed super well over like 40 or 50 years that you were contributing to it. You can enjoy um, the lump sum essentially of what you have saved for retirement. So we would stress that everybody have an IRA. So For anyone with a traditional job where your employer matches, you should definitely take advantage of the match because it is free money. But 
once you once you hit the match, so let's say your employer will match 4%, we would recommend not contributing more than the 4% and using any excess money that you're able to save for retirement to actually put that into an IRA instead of contributing more to the 401k through work. For both people with kind of a salaried traditional job or non-traditional IRA, we would say is a great way to go. And there's so many different companies that offer that. Um, we both have an IRA kind of through what we'd call a robo-advisor. Um, mine is through Wealthfront and Calda's is through Elvest. But both of those can be great um, for millennials. You kind of fill out essentially a questionnaire that talks about your risk level, what other kind of big priorities or expenses you have in your life, the time frame that you have to save, kind of just general questions for them to figure out your investment strategy, and they manage it for you. And obviously, you can check in on it anytime. But that's been super helpful for us versus going to a more traditional brokerage, which generally has much higher fees, especially if you're starting with a more modest amount of money that both of us were. So definitely for millennials getting started, we would just say that probably a robo-advisor to do your IRA is a great way to start and definitely better than not doing anything at all. And then as far as resources, so I, the intimidating part for me, and I would say I'm a good sample for the millennials, <laughs> would be... I guess the understanding of the stock market and kind of the mysteriousness of it, if you don't know anything about it. So that's where the robo advisor you're saying comes in is that it's more of a hands-off approach where you are contributing a certain amount to that IRA every year. And then the robo advisor is basically taking over and managing it. Yes. But all based on parameters that you set through kind of what you say as your um, risk factor. And you can always go back in and change that. So if you feel like you're only 21 years old, you're probably not going to retire for 45 years, you can definitely afford to be a little bit riskier. You can set your risk score to be like eight or nine out of 10. And you can go back in maybe when you turn 25 or 30 and you want to take it down to seven or eight, you can definitely fluctuate over time. But one kind of key tip that we would have um, just as a general investment strategy with whatever whatever you have in your retirement account, it should be about 100 minus your age should be the percentage of stocks that you have. Stocks are generally more risky than let's say bonds or mutual funds. You can find pretty low risk mutual funds out there. But it should be 100 minus your age is the percentage of stocks that you have in there. And that's kind of a good way to make sure if your portfolio is on track. But then in terms of what the specific stocks are, the robo-advisor will pick those for you based on your risk factor that you give them. Got it. Okay. Um, is there anything else you wanted to, any other tips and tricks you have for um, retirement that you want to touch on? I those are about all the questions I can think of. Just one key thing um, that we have shared a lot about on our blog, again, we talked about it earlier today, is just the importance of starting early. One thing that our mom actually would always tell us, even when we were in high school and we were like, what is a retirement fund? <laughs> is just that if you were to save just $50 a month from the years of age 20 to 30, so just a span of 10 years and stopped at age 30 and never contributed again, 
versus somebody that waited to start at age 30, saved double what you did, so $100 a month from 30 until they retired at 65, they would still not have as much money in their retirement account as you would, even though you only saved for 10 years and you saved half of the amount per month. And that's just really shows the value of time. It really, it doesn't take a ton of money from the beginning, but if you just start with something small as early as you possibly can, it is so much better than waiting until you feel like you understand it a little bit more or you have a little bit more income because you're just going to have to contribute so much more at that point if you wait and still never be at the point that you are now. So just making sure Mm -hmm. doing what you can, even if it's just $20 a month at the beginning is super important and kind of the number one thing that we would stress when it comes to retirement. And that's a great, that was a great way to put it um, because I think there's a lot of the attitude of, oh, I'll worry about it later. Or, you know, it's not time to be worried about retirement because it's so far away. But taking that into consideration, that's a great example and thing to tell people is that it's a lot easier and not so stressful on yourself if you can just grasp that time is the most important component, I think, uh, for people to understand. Yeah. It's just time. And that, it compounded really, interest. <laughs> it definitely never really gets easier, um, I would think, too. You know, if you think, okay, when I'm 35, I feel like I'm going to be making more in my job, whatever that job is, mm-hmm. which is most likely true, but then there's things that come up, you know, as you age, maybe you decide that you want to have children or you want to buy a house or later down the road, you have increased medical costs, that kind of thing. There's always going to be something in your life that can be an excuse for why you're not ready to start now. So just, just do it. (laughs) Yeah. There's an excuse for everything. And I feel like humans can justify just about anything that there's a reason that there is that that saying: the more money you make, the more money you spend. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's all I wanted to talk to you, ladies, about. I mean, I could talk to you probably for hours about money for myself, but I doubt the rest of the people listening want to hear about my personal questions. So, thank you guys for coming on. Please let people know where they can find you online. I know you guys offer some financial services, so feel free to talk about those and what people what knowledge people can get from your website and from you guys personally. Absolutely. HelloHenrys.com is our blog. We try to post a blog every single week. Um, On Monday, we try to alternate between a travel tips guide or a city itinerary versus then every other week moving into a money-related topic. We also are super active on Instagram. We share our Instagram is at HelloHenrys. And we try to share every Tuesday a travel tip and every Friday a finance tip, as well as just kind of stories of our travels, recommendations for restaurants, activities, hotels. So a 50-50 blend between travel and finance. But then overall, we do offer consultation services on our website, starting at $69 an hour for just kind of a financial overhaul where if you have just general questions, you know, wanting to get started with your budget, asking us what areas of your life you should be prioritizing right now. And we do those in person and virtually. And then we also offer travel concierge planning. So we do everything from, you know, if you want to plan your honeymoon or if you just want help finding a deal to your dream vacation. We kind of do it all. So you can go to hellohenrys.com to read all of our blog posts, which will help you get started with anything travel or money related. And then if you need the extra step, we would love to 
meet you in person or online for a consultation. And just uh, let people know where you're based out of too. We are based out of Seattle. Perfect. Thank you guys so much again for coming on, taking time out of your day. I know you just got back from a trip, so I'm sure you're tired and you've got other things to do. So I appreciate you guys being here and chit-chatting with me. Thank you so much. And then um, it was good (laughs) to talk to you. And then um, we will be back with regular episodes, um, which will now be released every other Friday. We have some great episodes coming up. We've got Thailand, Yosemite. Um, Adriana is going to Croatia, where she's going to do Yacht Week. So when she gets back, we'll record an episode all about that. And then I've also been reaching out to companies to ask if they want to advertise with us. And it's always important to us to find companies which are a good fit for our audience. And our goal is to provide you know outstanding episodes to you. And we make it a priority to limit the ad time for each episode. So we know that there's nothing worse than listening to an episode and having to like wade through all of the ads and it's really annoying. So that's a priority for us. And I will always try to be as forthcoming and open with all the information as I can. And then as I reach out to these companies, it's always helpful to have a collection of wonderful five-star reviews from you guys. We have a good amount, but it always helps for me to be able to point to, you know, rave reviews as I pitch to these companies. So reviewing and subscribing to this podcast is one of those ways that you can help us. And it takes, you know, about 20 seconds to do. So if you have some time and you appreciate this content we make, we would love if you would take the time to review us. So thank you guys again to Lauren and Kelda for coming on today. They have so many good resources on their website for all things millennials and money. And it's been one of my go-to resources lately. So be sure to check it out. And don't forget, you can find this episode and all of the show notes, all the things we talked about, on here and the links to Hello Henry's and their website and everything on our website at theramblinggals.com slash podcast. We'll talk to you on the next one. Thank you, ladies. That was so fun. Don't forget to join us every Wednesday for Whiskey Wednesday, where we answer all of your travel questions. So if you have questions about destinations, things to do, what to pack, anything travel related, send it over to us via Instagram and we'll answer it for you. And um, we'll be enjoying our Templeton Rye Old Fashioned while we answer your questions. So it's a win-win for everyone. We'll see you over there. Thanks for listening to the Rambling Gals podcast. You can always head to our website, theramblinggals.com, for more travel resources and our archive of podcast episodes. If this podcast was right up your alley, we would love to receive a review from you. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode from us. See you on the next one.